Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast on The Times. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, which you can listen to Monday to Thursday, 10 to 1. Uh, on today's show, we banned coronavirus, all mention of the C word, not because it's not important, but, you know, there's only so much we can take and we just want to have a, uh, have a bit more uh, fun and lightness. So the main thing we did on the show was we we uh, ran a World Cup of the best fictional politicians. It started the weekend. Thousands of people sent me nominations on Twitter. We did the quarterfinals, the semifinals, uh, and then there was an ultimate uh, result, uh, which you can find out who won at the end of the podcast. Coming up, a really interesting chat I had with James Graham, the playwright, Amber Rudd, the former Home Secretary, and uh, the actor Justin Edwards, who played Ben Swain, uh, the blinky Ben Swain in the thick of it. Uh, so they talk about what it's like uh, trying to create uh, drama out of a political crisis and what it's like seeing your job uh, portrayed uh, in uh, comedy and farce. Uh, but first of all, a chat with Hugo Rifkin, the Times uh, TV critic, and James Marriott, the Times deputy books editor, about their favourite uh, politicians from the big and small screen and from literature. Uh, now then, let's go back to our uh, World Cup of fictional politicians uh, that we're running all throughout the show today. You can vote on Twitter right now. You can go to uh, my uh, page at Matt Jolly on Twitter and vote there. Uh, but uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to uh, kick off with two of the Times' finest. Hugo Rifkin is a columnist, obviously a presenter on Times Radio uh, in 10 till 1 on Saturdays. But crucially for, this, for these purposes, TV critic for the Times. Morning, Hugo. Good morning. And joining me in the studio, James Marriott is uh, the Times Deputy Books Editor. Hi, James. Hello. Nice to have you with us. Uh, so we're running the, the World <laughs> Cup. It's, uh, we're on the quarterfinals uh, right now. Uh, let's talk in more general terms, first of all, um, before we get into specifics, Hugo. What do you think we uh, look for in a good fictional politician? Well, we don't necessarily look for them to be like someone who we would actually like to be a politician, <laughs> right? If you, look at, if you look at your poll, you've got someone like Nicola Murray doing very well, the, the Rebecca Front from the thick of it. And I don't think we really want to be governed by, Nick, by Rebecca Front playing Nicola Murray. Um, likewise, likewise, sort of Jim Hacker, probably that would be a bit of a nightmare. Certainly, certainly Francis Underwood or, 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 or Francis Urquhart from the various House of Cards. We don't, we don't really want them to be our politicians. So I think we're looking to be sort of entertained rather than led, right? I think you could. Well, what do you think, James? Yeah, I'm with Hugo on this. I was kind of looking through them and thinking that I think cynicism is an incredibly attractive quality in fictional characters, uh, but not at all in politicians. Mayor Quimby, 
um, who I think was doing well, is obviously outrageously cynical. Uh, Peter Mannion, we kind of love for his cynicism. Uh, in that Blackadder episode about uh, the election, Blackadder, who is Baldrick's election agent, is outrageously cynical, uh, which is hilarious television, but would obviously not be not be good. Um, I, mean, I, I, I would say one one small exception to the rule, perhaps, is uh, is I, I've been watching I've been watching Roadkill, the new David Hare with with Hugh Laurie, and the politician he plays is of course pretty malign and nasty, but you also think kind of great, and so he sort of seems to, seems to you know traverse. You kind of you kind of think, well, he's no worse than the rest of them, and he seems to be quite good at it. So I'd I'd take that. So the um, let, as you've brought it up, let's mention it. So this is part of the reason why we were doing this uh, right now. There's this new drama on BBC One, Hugh Laurie, uh, playing a, a cabinet minister. He starts off as a transport minister, and uh, I don't. Know, this is too much of a spoiler for the weekend. He gets moved to justice uh, in the first uh, in the first episode. Um, do you think it was any good, Hugo? First of all, with your professional TV critic hat on. Yes, I thought it was splendid. I thought. Um, I, I think. Um, I've I, I've seen the first two episodes. I think the second episode is better than the first. The first, it takes a while to kind of come together. The first episode, but uh, but once it does, I think it's stormingly good. I think it. Um, it's also it's very a, a lot of political dramas don't very closely resemble what politics is actually like or what politicians are actually like, and this one kind of does. So I, I liked it a lot. Did you Did you see it, James? I haven't seen it yet. No. I watched it. No, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, saw really? people, I saw people being mean about it on Twitter, which is why I didn't watch it. <laughs> well, I suppose, well and, uh, one of the things, and we're going to talk, we've got Amber Rudd on in about an hour's time, and we're going to talk to her about this, because she you know, obviously watched Keely Halls playing her as the, you know, mm. a, a, the Home Secretary and Bodyguard. I do wonder if sometimes I was watching it thinking, well, that's, you know, the minister's not allowed to walk off down the road with his red box. He wouldn't do it like that. Of course, he wouldn't spend the whole time on the way. So there are so many things in it which are just not right that I found uh, the rest of it sort of too annoying. And then it was all just anyway. And then it turned out everyone was double crossing everyone. And I'm just not sure that most people in Westminster are basically Wallies. But, it, but see, what it is, it's 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 80s politics transposed into into the now, right? So it's it's basically it's basically Thatcher. He's he's a Thatcher era cabinet minister, you know. He's he's he's. I mean, without wishing to libel anyone, because I haven't seen the whole thing, he's virtually Jonathan Aitken, right? <laughs> and so, but it's but it's so but it, I mean, so it's transposing those characters and those behaviours and putting them now, which I guess is what David Hare's doing because he wrote it and he he understands those days rather better. So I take your point, but as a portrait of what. Of what kind of the sort of you know the the Thatcherite heyday of the kind of sort of sneery Conservative Party would have been like? Now I think it's fantastic. Uh, now I just got, we, aside from the cynical politicians, um, we should probably talk about the West Wing. Although Ben's just got in touch and says, "Don't tell me you're going to talk about the West Wing again with Hugo." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't you both say you haven't watched it? I'm going to get grumpy again, aren't I? And we should point out you and I uh, we did a, a Red Box podcast on this earlier in the year, and we mentioned that neither of us had seen the West Wing. Have you put that right during lockdown, Hugo? You know, what? I, I have. I haven't watched all of it. I've watched quite a lot of it. Oh, okay. I must well, admit, we I did it. In that, I, I did it in that kind of way that when you, you know, you you have an argument on the internet and then you go to look facts, look good, look for facts that back up your position. That, that, <laughs> then you might have adopted a completely different position if that hadn't been where you started. But still, this is where I am. It annoys me. The bits that everybody likes. The bits that everybody likes. They're all the same. When when Bartlett does a speech, all his speeches are the same. Every episode, there's a speech. He does it, you know, it's got every every little speech has got a folksy beginning, then a counterintuitive thing in about 45 seconds, and then a lesson at the end with steel while the orchestra starts, and it's just boring. Sick of it. Um, probably quite <laughs> I must good, admit, I've, st- I've still not bothered wa- watching any of it, but going through clips, because I knew we were doing it today, they are sort of slightly sick-making, all of those. You know, the strings start up, and he starts saying something very inspirational, and they all look sort of slightly moist-eyed at each other. And I just think I'd much rather have... 
the thick of it sitting in the back of a car talking about, you know, yeah. doing some, the, the spare room database or doing something for zoos or the quiet bat people or whatever. Um, it's veep, veep without the jokes. Exactly, and that's much less good. Um, James, let's, we should probably talk about literary fictional politicians. Um, unfortunately, none of them actually made it through from the, <laughs> uh, from the, um, the qualifiers. Uh, so, uh, but the ones that, that were in there, because basically over the weekend I asked for nominate, perhaps two or 3,000 people suggested uh, uh, politicians. So there's uh, Gerald Fadden in The Line of Beauty by Alan Hollinghurst. Um, uh, that's probably one of the standout you know, political... Uh, sort of, oh, I'm going to say proper political books. Is, I'm basically being disparaging about Geoffrey Archer. Uh, talk, talk to us about the line of beauty. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a work of genius. It's an amazingly beautifully written book, but the portrait of the Tory MP at the centre of it is completely fantastic. I, I've never personally met a Tory MP, but this is exactly how I think they are now. <laughs> uh, Gerald Fadden is this sort of incredibly charismatic, incredibly charming, very pompous, very egocentric, ultimately incredibly cynical and corrupt character at the centre of the novel, who, without spoiling it, is quite patently riding for his downfall. I think in the novel he's kind of, he's a kind of, I think a slightly typical Thatcher-era MP, but also at the time of the novel is set in the 80s, he's kind of the last of an old guard of Tory MPs who were privately educated and uh, had been to Oxbridge at a time when I think, you know, Thatcher's uh, parliament was increasingly full of people who kind of um, not had quite that posher background. Uh, He's... He's enjoyable because he's sort of completely irresistible. He's like, I think he has those kind of uh, cynical qualities that I was identifying in a lot of attractive fictional MPs, which is that you know politics is, you know, potentially corrupt and a load of nonsense. And he knows it, which is why you like him, which is why you like him so much. But the unfortunate thing also is that he's actually in it. So he shouldn't think that. <laughs> um, I, I recommend it completely. It's really it's a really brilliantly attractive uh, portrait of an incredibly bad but charismatic man. I um I read it I think either just before or just after I started working in Parliament and it gave me quite the wrong impression of what <laughs> you know, what, what, it, what it was going to be like. Um, an honorary mention for Roger Barlow. Who yeah, is well, Roger Barlow? This goes? completely this completely deserved to crash out your poll because this is um, <laughs> this is Boris Johnson's portrait of himself in his completely I mean abysmally terrible novel Seventy Two Virgins, uh, where the hero is this uh, shambling uh, bike riding classics quoting conservative mp who essentially saves the world uh, at the end of the novel it's completely preposterous it's appallingly written boris johnson was supposed to have written i think in about a week people say um and it's just this if if sort of a lot of politicians are cynical the kind of depressing thing about uh boris johnson's portrayal of himself as roger barlow in this book is that roger barlow is utterly cynical but boris johnson as the author doesn't seem to have realized that the kind of <laughs> one of the sort of comic um plots in the book is that he's trying to avoid revealing to his wife that he's been mixed up in this kind of sinister business with a lingerie tray uh, lingerie tray um <laughs> chain of chops but boris johnson doesn't seem to have grasped that that might be dislikable in the character it's kind of all his corruption and horribleness is i think you're supposed to view as uh endearing which is a, i guess a kind of slightly terrifying but predictable insight into boris johnson's psyche <laughs> Um, uh, Hugo, who would you like to see win the uh, Times Radio World Cup of fictional politicians? Oh dear! Well, see, I, I don't think I don't think she's even in it. Uh, I, I I didn't see her. But my, my as as I said last time we discussed this, my favourite fictional politician in terms of someone who I'd actually like to see in charge of stuff is the little-known Laura Roslin, played by Mary Macdonnell, who is who is the president in Battlestar Galactica. And she basically she's she's the minister for education, and she gets bumped up to pre- president because everyone else gets killed by the Cylons. It's quite hard to find parallels, really. Uh, but um, and she and she basically has to, she basically sort of steers the I think the twelve tribes of humanity across the reaches of space, looking for a new Earth. 
but she does it very well. Um, I, th- I think some people did nominate her over the weekend, but um, not oh, really? enough out of the. T- you should have you should have marshaled your forces online to. Um, yeah. Uh, and what about um, the big? So looking through the ones that are doing very well, inevitably uh, Frank Underwood, obviously from the US uh, version of House of Cards, Francis Urquhart as well, Jed Bartlett, we mentioned from um, uh, the West Wing, and Birgitta Nyborg. Uh, where did you stand on Borgen? Snorgan Borgen. I was never that into Borgen. I, I found it was it was the it was the killing without the killing, wasn't it? I just um, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't really get there. The one the one that, that really stood out for me actually in your in your kind of sort of your your late rounds. I'm not sure how he's how he's done currently. Uh, was Tommy Shelby um, from from Peaky Blinders? Uh, you could see him being being a, a very a very yeah. He's currently last leader. in uh, quarterfinal two. It has to be said. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember if he was a fascist or an anti-fascist, but he was one or the other. There, there, <laughs> certainly, there, certainly, there was a dangerous there is, edge there. There is politics but... in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> what about he, you? He was one pretending to be the other one. I, I forget. What about you, James? Who would you like to see win this? I, I'm I'm all for Mayor Quimby. I was watching clips from him again last night, and he is a political genius. I have to say, I was sort of because having watched it, I'd never sort of zeroed in on him particularly. But watching there are on YouTube, there are sort of collections of Mayor Quimby, all the clips in one place, and it was kind of making me think is almost a symbol of a politics from a happier era where his kind of womanizing and endless corruption is something that he tries to hide from the public and present a facade that is uh, the opposite of that whereas i think maybe nowadays in america that stuff is less underneath the surface so he's almost a symbol of a kind of happier political age bizarrely (laughs) the best the best simpsons episode is of course when homer runs for sanitation commissioner under the slogan "Can't somebody else do it?" which I always <laughs> it, it is basically the it is is the ultimate political slogan. Can't somebody else do it? That's what, that's really what we all vote for. Well, we could all uh, we could all sign up to that. Well, it's really good to be. Thanks for joining us. That's Hugo Rifkin there. Uh, Times T the Times TV reviewer columnist. His columns in the paper today is is excellent on what do you do about people who um, sort of anti-maskers, but also people who just go around ignoring things. And you can hear uh, Hugo every uh, Saturday ten to one here on Times Radio. And nice to see you, James May. Thanks for popping into the. Popping into the studio, De- Times Deputy Books Editor there. You- so that was Hugo Rifkin and James Marriott there. Uh, now the main event, if you like. Uh, I had a chat with James Graham, the playwright behind things like This House and uh, the Brexit and Uncivil War. Uh, also Amber Rudd, uh, the Home Secretary, about seeing her job portrayed in The Bodyguard, uh, starring Keely Hawes, and uh, Justin Edwards, who played Blinky Ben Swain uh, in the thick of it. He, he did quite well. He got through uh, several rounds of the World Cup of best fictional politicians but before that how many of these do you remember this is more important than re-election i want to speak now we may be a small country but we're a great one too country of shakespeare churchill the beatles sean connery harry potter my fellow americans words have many meanings and sometimes instead of conveying our meaning they can suggest other meanings and be open to misinterpretation Times is read by the people who actually do run the country. One special quality that makes them like that, that people, um, the quiet, bat people. Do you want your house to be compulsorily purchased and turned into an Indian women's hopscotch collective? People of Springfield, because of the epidemic, I have cancelled my vacation to the Bahamas. I shall not leave the city. Hey, you, get that steel drum out of the uh, mayor's office. I'm bored of this. I'm going for a Twix. You might think that. I couldn't possibly comment. 
How do you make a drama out of political uh, crisis? Well, one man who knows more about that uh, than almost anyone I could, we could think of is the playwright James Graham, who's brought some of the mo- most famous political scenes to life, whether it's the Brexit, the uncivil war, this house about the extraordinary uh, whipping operation during the 1970s, and uh, Labour of Love, which is a fictional uh, political play. And James joins me now. Hi, James. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm very good. Nice to have you with us. So I suppose my first, uh, I suppose the first thing is, why, why politics, so much, not all, but so much of what you uh, have uh, written about is politics. So what's the appeal of writing about politics? I think, unfortunately, it's nothing original that I, uh, you know, for, for centuries, that's been the mainstay of, of great, uh, particularly of great British theatre. Um, and I think why it's so exciting for an audience is because you're putting very personal, very human stories in the foreground against the backdrop of, of nation changing events where you can see these personal dilemmas um, in the context of, of a political condition. So whether that's Shakespeare or whether that's um, modern television dramas like House of Cards um, or older ones like GBH. I think we just really get the satisfaction from, from seeing politicians as complicated human figures wrestling with inner demons as well as, uh, as, well as um, you know, matters of state. Uh, and when you set up, what do you look for, particularly when you've, when you've uh, dramatised real-life events, whether it was Brexit or this house and that, what do you look for in particular um, uh, is the right ingredients? Because obviously... Some politics is quite dramatic. Some of it is going to be a bit boring. So um, what do you look for when you're you're thinking about dramatising politics? Well, actually, it's a lot of the boring stuff that I find really geekly exciting, as I'm sure you do. And I suppose I like the um, challenge of trying to make some of that that boring um, systems and process stuff feel accessible and exciting to a, a mainstream audience. Whether that be um, the play you mentioned, This House in the 1970s, how does the whip's office work? Literally, how do you work with the, your enemies to draft legislation? How do you get people into the House to vote? And um, with a film like Brexit on Civil War, it actually initially wasn't the big thematic stuff about why did we do this and why, why was this historic choice made? It was actually me realising, I don't know how you run a referendum campaign. I've got no idea who hires the office, where do you put the chairs, what do you eat for lunch, who gets the pizza, do you have a drink afterwards? It's, it's, the, it's the mechanics, I think, of politics, how our systems of government work you know, invisibly behind the scenes that just, just, um, just really excite me. And I suppose if I can be a bit... Uh, uh, worthy for a second. I do also think it is the responsibility of writers, uh, especially playwrights, um, if you can access worlds which sometimes uh, other authors or journalists can't access, um, then it's your responsibility to try and put those on stage or screen and make what feels very far away feel very close. I think without, with no disrespect to, uh, to your honourable profession, Matt, you know, I think we have to be uh, aware sometimes that uh, you know, a four-piece observer spread might not penetrate popular conscience as much as an ITV, BBC One or Channel 4, 4 drama. So I just think it's a really useful weapon. Yes, I think you're probably right. And, you know, one of the things we've tried to do on this show is to try, make, try and explain a bit more what's going on rather than just assuming that everyone is following every uh, twist and turn uh, necessarily. Yeah. And what about accuracy? How much, because, I mean, one of the things, I mean, really, I remember uh, seeing this house, which is obviously the play about the, the whipping operation uh, during the, the, basically the decline of the Labour government in the 1970s. It was, it was so, it felt incredibly accurate. And actually, even uh, the Brexit um, and Civil War as well, because I was talking earlier to um, Hugo Rifkin and James Marriott, uh, watching the Hugh Laurie one at the weekend, actually all the sort of 
uh, inaccuracies, you know, for ner- you know, people who know how politics works for me, sort of put me off the whole thing. So how much time do you spend thinking about the drama and how much time do you spend thinking about making sure people like me go, oh, it actually doesn't work like that? <laughs> um, well, they kind of go hand in hand. You, uh, I get my uh, scene ideas, my character ideas and my dialogue inspiration by going out researching and, and meeting people. And it's the most fun part of the whole thing. And it feels like such a gift to, say, go and, and meet these politicians from the 1970s who majority are now in the House of Lords are more able to speak more transparently and openly than, than possibly they would have done a few years ago, particularly with that play that you mentioned, This House. You know, as you know, the whips have this code of secrecy where they don't give interviews, they don't, they're not meant to publish um, uh, memoirs. So to get, to, you know, to be allowed access into that world and, be, and to be shown how it works, that's, that's so exciting. On this issue of truth, it does, I do wrestle with it a lot. And I, I think all you can do um, is try to capture sort of the essence of truth, the essence of a character like, I don't know, Michael Heseltine swinging the mace or the, the essence <laughs> of what it felt like to be in a moment at a particular time and a particular place. You're not going to get every single detail um, as accurately as, say, as, say uh, a piece of journalism would. And nor, nor, nor should you, really, because what it also has to function as is entertainment. And I think a modern audience is so sophisticated. They know that you probably conflated the timeline, conflated some characters, combined six strategy meetings in vote leave into one strategy meeting because you need to make it function as entertainment. And I also think, I mean, we, I did a, a drama about the coughing major called Quiz um, on ITV this year with um Which with was Matt terrific, by the way. Um, and that was, um, again, it wasn't really political, but it was a real life story of a real life event from recent times, the, the alleged cheating scandal on who wants to be a millionaire. And we're, actually, we put one of my favorite quotes, which I keep in my head um, at the very beginning of the of the drama, which is a Picasso quote, uh, which is basically uh, art is not truth. Art is a lie which helps us reveal truth. Um, and I sort of think that's it. I think that's the game. We, we are, you know, it's not fact by fact, date by date, word by word, truth, but actually it can penetrate and get under the skin of a kind of, dare I say, possibly greater truth, greater human truth than maybe maybe a documentary can. Okay, well, let's bring in, uh, as we were talking about, you know, the, um, the accuracy and the, the balance between that and drama, let's bring in someone who's seen their job played on uh, TV. Amber Rudd. Uh, morning, Amber. Morning, Matt. Uh, nice to have you with us. And uh, you obviously won when you were Home Secretary. Uh, that was when Keely Halls was in uh, Bodyguard. So did you? Yeah. And obviously, you know, uh, do you watch other political dramas? How does it feel seeing the sort of the, your day job being played out uh, in drama? Well, I, I absolutely love political dramas, and I've seen practically everything that James has written and loved it all. I couldn't quite watch the Brexit on Civil Wars, having lived it too recently. I'm not quite ready for it. But one day, maybe I'll get to that. Um, but as a politician, actually, I find it absolutely gripping to watch. But I mean, a lot of what you said, I agree with, in that you know, a lot of politis- politics is quite mundane. But you have to have a brilliant writer to make it entertaining. And in particular, watching uh, The Bodyguard with Keely Hawes, how realistic was that to... I mean, it made uh, being Home Secretary seem quite, you know, glamorous and secretive, and obviously there was an affair with The Bodyguard. Did any of that resonate with you? <laughs> well, I couldn't possibly comment on the, uh, the final question there. Uh, as we say, the business neither confirm nor deny, but actually uh, I thought that in the programme they made the, the core element of being Home Secretary quite 
uh, accurate, which was that it's, it comes at you really fast. All the terrorism really was the central element of it. And that sort of sent cold shivers down my back when I watched it because 2017 was a year of terrorism. And I come back to the writing. I mean, Jed Mercurio wrote that one. And he, you know, those of us who love his writing will watch Line of Duty. And it's an amazing script. And that's why I think it was so compelling. You can get more of the latest political news with a subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Red box. Okay, well, let's bring in, uh, you've gone for the sort of sexy, glamorous, making politicians look cool and exciting. Let's go very much to the other end of the spectrum then, in the thick of it. And I'm so delighted to be joined by Blinky Ben Swain from the thick of it. Justin Edwards, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm terrific. Lovely to have you with us. So um, uh, let's just have a quick reminder, and this is the only bit, the broadcastable bit, um, where you can fire from the thick of it. I'm not adverse to some some adult language. Let's take a quick listen to your appearance on the thick of it. Right, oh, here we go. Let's start with the minister then. On a scale Seconds which out. runs from absolute Come on, clarity through to not the faintest idea, where do you stand on the number of illegal immigrants in this country? Uh, well, that's, uh, yes, I'm sure you'd like me to... Well, I'd like to answer that question, Jeremy, and I'm sure you'd like to rush me into an answer, but of course... Uh, it doesn't look uh, particularly relaxed, does it? It's his first time, though, isn't it? Or what, I, uh, or what I do think is not really what, what the question is about. What, what's he doing with his eyes? Uh, no, the, the, the um, uh, previous... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's got a nervous blink. That's a mega blink. It's not just a blink. Oh, he looks like what happens when you punch a cow. That's £500 million over, um, well, over uh, the... Well, if I'll answer your uh, first question there before you go. Uh, right, ask me another one. Uh, Jerry, that's how it uh, normally works there. <laughs> Hi, so so Justin, explain. So you were playing Ben Swain sent That's on correct, yeah. sent on to Newsnight to face Jeremy Paxman. How did that yes. feel being in the hot seat? 
very exciting. Unfortunately, in real in real life, I've, I have met Jeremy Paxman, but he wasn't he wasn't there for the the filming of that. It's all it's all doctored. Um, so so spoil the magic. Shatter that illusion. If you look very carefully, his tie changes colour halfway through. <laughs> after the interview. That's that's the, that's the, that's it's all, it's all very of... well put together out of the um yeah out of the various outtakes and uh, other other sort of bits. So uh, where where which... where did the, I need to ask it? Where did the blinking come from? Was that your idea? Um, that was slightly me. Uh, Amanda had seen me doing. I was doing a show in Edinburgh uh, in two thousand and six, which I think I just wasn't very well prepared for, and it wasn't you know it wasn't wasn't very good. Um, and I think I developed I developed a slight nervous blink during that, and it's the kind of thing that sort of gets worse as you're on stage with the lights bearing down on you. Uh, and he saw that, and rather than think oh, I've enjoyed this man's performance or the the content or the material he's created, he thought, oh yes, that that slightly sweating, nervous looking man <laughs> blinking under the lights and not knowing what he's doing, he could do well as an MP. Uh, but I had to go through the the regular thick of it audition process. But then the um, Yes, and then it was. It became it became something of a something of a meme after that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and how does that? Every, fit- every every time there's a an awkward interview on a on a um, news night or, or similar, which is you know, fairly often, or any time someone does appear, because it's true you do when you're lying when you don't know what you're doing, you do tend to blink more. Um, so you do see it quite a lot when the rabbit in the headlights of politicians are being interviewed, and I, I get regularly tweeted a message to another, <laughs> so, another Ben Swain on a news night. Uh, Amber Rudd, have you ever had a Ben Swain moment? Um, I'm just trying to wonder about it. I mean, I'm sure I've had just as difficult interrogations from Jeremy Paxman and others, but I don't think blinking is my thing. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I think we all have tells when we're getting anxious about it. Uh, fortunately, as I say, I don't think it's been blinking. <laughs> and so, what do what what as a as a former cabinet minister? What is your view of the thick of it? Can you watch it, enjoy it, or is it all a bit too oh, much I like reality? We love it. What is brilliant about in the thick of it and in the loop, and also, must I may add, my favourite, which is Veep. I think I'm I'm gutted to hear that. I think Selena may may be out of it. She is out of it, unfortunately, in our competition. Oh, I can't believe it. What I find absolutely gripping is the is the relationship with the juniors the private secretaries and the special advisers, who in all those um, films, which are so brilliantly written, again, it's all about the writing by Amanda Iannucci, is they're all running around trying to give their principal, the minister, their boss, the advice and the facts. And it's always a slightly hapless minister or boss who's trying to remember getting it wrong, creating commitments that weren't intended, and they are the experts, the juniors, who are always very young. And just just sinking their head in their hands, shaking with horror as these new commitments are made. And what I love about these programmes, too, is that I've loved them because they're humorous and funny. They have an element of truth. The brilliance is often your junior. You're in a new department. You've got some junior person who's got a double PhD in the expertise that you're supposed to have. So you certainly need them. But they love them, too, in real life, all the juniors who work for the ministers. They're always comparing notes about Veep and in the thick of it. They love it. And that relationship is so critical that um, it's right that it pokes fun of it and makes the tragedy of some of those relationships humorous. Okay, let's bring um, uh, James Graham back in there because there's sort of there is a divide. I mean, even actually looking at the the current vote as it's playing out on Twitter, you've got a Jed Bartlett, the sort of uh, ideologically, uh, you know, lib- you know, the one that everyone loves, the sort of the the, the dream U.S. president from the West Wing. Uh, but it looks like he's going to go up against Jim Hacker uh, from Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. So, which is is it is it better to do something which has got humour in it, or or you know, something where you're sort of a- aiming higher? Do you think, James? 
Oh, I think you can do both. And I think there's a place for both. Obviously, we need the great satire um, of, of the thick of it. But then I, I do also think it's important to have dramas which sort of humanise and empathise and try to understand with, uh, with, with politicians slightly. Um, out of those two, I, can't, I, I would have to go with, with Jim Hacker. Um, I just think <laughs> it's so delicious. And I, I, I love The West Wing. But actually, weirdly, I think with The West Wing, my favourite characters are and the ones on, on the periphery is my f- absolute favourite West Wing character of all time. Um, he's only in it, for, I think, for a couple of episodes. It's plays John Goodman's character, the Speaker of the House, Glenn Walken, who, in a brilliant episode um, that was constructed by Alan so- Aaron Sorkin and John Wells, the Vice President has already resigned and the President has to recuse himself because I think his daughter has been kidnapped in a slightly soapy storyline. But what's great about it is in the, con- in the constitutional line, the next person to become pres- acting President is the Speaker of the House, who happens to be a Republican. And it's just such good drama construction that they, they create a situation where a Republican Speaker becomes the acting president in a Democratic uh, White House. And for a couple of episodes, his staff are butting heads with this Republican acting president. It's, um, it's glorious. It shows how vulnerable uh, the system is, whilst also doing that schmaltzy West Wing stuff, revering <laughs> it and idolising it as well. Uh, Amber, is there a risk? There was a story in the in the Times today, in the Times Diary, uh, saying that Tory MP Rick Holden has been spotted loudly whistling the House of Cards theme as he strolled across Parliament yesterday. Uh, and there's always, you know, Gavin Williamson clearly thinks he's Francis Urquhart. Uh, uh, and um, is there a risk that politicians start thinking they're in a sort of either they they think they're in a drama, and we all think that they're in a comedy. <laughs> I think most of them know they're in a comedy, I'm afraid. Um, there, is, there is always a risk that people try and um, emulate what they think of a, as a popular character. I don't think that's in fiction. I don't think that's unique to politics, though. Uh, there, there's always a bit of it in the heckling in the House of Commons. Um, I remember that when Rory Stewart used to speak up to speak sometimes, somebody would hum the James Bond opening tune. Um, and there were always sort of little attacks on people that were humorous like that. But I think people have to be careful careful not to become a sort of one-dimensional imitation of um, a particular fictional character. I remember seeing George Osborne once arriving for a Treasury Select Committee, and he, had, he was flanked by half a dozen of his officials, and we all thought, very West Wing. But I don't know, <laughs> who's, who's copying who in this situation? Maybe the, polit- maybe the writers, like James Graham, are copying what's actually going on. Well, it was going on in reality. So, Justin, did your your um, experience of playing Ben Swain in the thick of it, did that make you have more sympathy for an MP or did it make you think about going into politics or did you did it did it not change your view at all? Oh, I don't think I could go into politics. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm surprisingly I'm, I'm not not terribly good at, at lying. And I think I'd have a, I've sort of, you know, I have perhaps I'd like to think I have perhaps too much empathy or or too many morals not to not to, you know, be, you know. Terribly rude to Amber listening to that saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it did make me realize. I mean, just the, the kind of the, that rabbit in headlights thing. And Amber, as Amber was just saying, just how, you know, everything comes at you very quickly. And I think that was deliberately constructed within the way the show's written and filmed is that you sort of don't know what's happening from you shoot huge amounts of dialogue every day. And although it's all very scripted and it's very, it's rehearsed, it's also there's an element of improvisation and you do. At some points, you'd be in the middle of a scene and someone you didn't know was in the scene, that alone on set that day, would wander in and start talking to you. They'd been <laughs> sent in quietly by Amanda to go, go and surprise them. Go and, go and drop this bombshell just so they can get the, the sort of the most realistic reactions you can of, of assorted rabbits in headlights, really, not knowing, not knowing what they're doing. 
Uh, it, I made, it makes them all impersonal, I think, in a way, uh, as, as, as James was saying, it is, it is that personal and political, I think, that Thick of It does particularly well, uh, of just 20 people trying to work out how to plug a television in to see what the latest, you know, there's, there's that reality, of, although we, we assume that MPs are somehow titans, perhaps, of people wondering about making huge life-changing decisions, they still have to deal with the absolute mundanities of office life and of people having the wrong chair and, and <laughs> working and, and no one quite being able to get in and out of doors because they haven't got the right swipe card or lanyard. All of that sort of minutiae of office and daily life is as much a part of, of the political life as it is of anyone's, I suspect. I mean, we like to think that they you know, get sort of wafted through a la George Osborne being sort of flanked, rolling <laughs> five deep with your entourage and being so, but I'm, I'm sure at some point they'll come across a door they simply can't open. Yeah, and then it all yeah it all comes crashing down. Uh, James uh, yeah. Graham, I just need to finally ask you. Obviously, you wrote Brexit: The Uncivil War, which you know basically portrayed Dominic Cummings as a sort of mad genius. Uh, do you you know given Barnard Castle and all of that, is that is that still how you see him? Uh, I think I hope what it did was sort of ask the question: Is he mad or a genius? And, and then we left it up to the um, to the audience to decide. And actually, interestingly, to your point earlier about the dangers of um, real-life people emulating uh, versions of themselves on, on screen. Uh, whenever Dominic Cummings does something at his most Dominic Cummingness, I do still get um, an email from <laughs> Alistair Campbell with just the subject <laughs> heading saying, it's all your fault. Uh, and his theory, which we can agree or disagree with, uh, is basically that um, being played by a Marvel superhero on national television does something to a person and maybe, maybe gives them a sense of themselves that is either earned or unearned. I don't know. I can't speak to that, but I do think it, you know, it is the danger of, of putting real life people on television when they are still in in public life as for barnard castle i don't know i did briefly think about doing a road a road movie um <laughs> uh, and trying to emulate every stop at every service station but i don't know i, I see your previous point i actually think this drama is most exciting when um i like to put people on the outside on the inside so now now that boris and dominic are at the very heart of public life i would prefer to look to who is in the corner who's watching who who do the audience not yet know about but is playing a, a part in public life and so is that something you're thinking about working on now yeah i mean feel free to tell me who you think uh, where you think those stories are but i, I just think i just think the most exciting dramas sort of come in slightly askew like through a strange fire door and and look at it from look at politics and something that's very familiar like a referendum campaign from a very strange angle when we did brexit the uncivil war hardly anybody knew who dominic cummings was and that's what was exciting about it so yes i'm on the search for who who that person is on the peripheries at the moment and, and what their point of view might be Sounds like Alok Sharma, the movie to me. Um, you have, <laughs> although we have banned uh, talking about uh, you know what beginning with C. You have got a new play called Bobble about finding love in lockdown. Um, how's how's that go? How a how did you go about uh, writing it? But also how how's how are you going about putting it on right now? Yes, that's going on at Nottingham Playhouse on Friday. Assuming you know, assuming. T- Tier 3 doesn't descend on, on Nottingham, we will see. It's also being live streamed for, for audiences. It's going great. I mean, God, just to be back in a, in a rehearsal room, the joy of being a, a playwright or a screenwriter, unlike being a novelist, is that it's an incredibly collaborative uh, process. You get to be in a room with people physically, physically making work, and I've, I've really missed it, and I've missed what is so brilliant and powerful about theatre, which is the proximity of you and the work and, and the people around you and in the audience. That's what makes it really special and really difficult during a, a pandemic. So it's really exciting. And um, But we can only really stage something by writing it in the pandemic so that the actors can't touch each other because there is a pandemic, etc. <laughs> uh, and we've, you know, we, we're following protocols in the rehearsal room. It's a challenge, but it's just, just really thrilling to 
after seven months, um, which I think is the longest theatres have been closed in since Elizabethan times. It's um, it's just great to be a, a little little dash of hope in bringing live art back. Uh, well, I'm really glad it's back. I will give you a for uh, mentioning uh, the P word uh, without necessarily doing the C word. Uh, but we, uh, we, uh, we wish you well with that. Before I let you go, your f- finally your favourite fictional politician? Uh, I don't know if he's on your list, but I, I adore GBH by Alan Bleasdale. So Michael Murray, uh, played by Robert Lindsay, who was a sort of a thinly veiled Derek Hatton character. I think, I think uh, a, you know, a story of a northern mayor uh, going against his conservative Westminster government. Who'd have thought it so far? <laughs> Dangerously close to, to drifting into the C word again. That really good to speak to you there, James Graham. Amber Rudd, your favourite? Is it Selena Mia from uh, from Veep? Well, I've briefly got a new favourite. I know the judgment is out on Roadkill by David Hare, but I thought that Helen McCrory as Dawn as the Prime Minister was particularly good last night. So for that reason um, alone, I think it's worth carrying on watching it from my point of view. Uh, very good. There's Amber Rudd there. Although some people did point out the Prime Minister called Dawn does mean she's called PM Dawn, uh, which is quite funny. Uh, Justin Edwards, uh, having been at the, 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 the th- literally in the thick of it, but also on the receiving end of, of uh, Jeremy Paxman, who's your favourite? Uh, I mean, you, you, could, you can just say Ben Swain, if you like, but who's your favourite uh, fictional politician? Well, I, can't, I can't really say myself. That would be very, uh, very egotistical. I, I think, actually, going back and just when I heard the clips uh, at, the, at the top of this section, I go for uh, Diamond Joe Quinby from The Simpsons. Still, he does seem I to be very, encapsulates very an awful lot of what they, yeah, of, of what a politician <laughs> shouldn't be. So after all of that, it was very, very close at the end in the World Cup of fictional politicians. Almost three thousand people voted, and. of the vote went to Jim Hacker from Yes Prime Minister, beating Peter Mannion uh, from the thick of it. So so Jim Hacker, the ultimate fictional politician in our Times Radio World Cup. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, You can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.